Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Kids, don't leave yet, all right? I got a little something special for you before we go to a children's church. Um, you, you know, you're all um, children. You're all a little smaller. Well, I have a story from Scripture that it's going to kind of tie in with a sermon today. And it's about being small. It's about being small. It's actually uh, a story that that uh, I really like because I kind of related to it growing up because I was kind of a little guy, too. And so this is found in the Bible, but it's not exactly written the same way as it is in the Bible. But it, it's uh, um, I think you'll enjoy it because this is called Supper at Shorty's. Now, before before I get started here, I just want you to remember that uh, everybody gets a nickname. Anybody got a nickname that you were given as a kid? Yeah, we've all got one. Okay, well, this this is called Supper at Shorty's and Shorty's is short for something else. All right. All right, here we go. Several years ago, there lived a a man named Shorty. His name was really Zacchaeus, but since no one could say his name without sounding like they were sneezing, they called him Shorty instead. They also called him Shorty because he was short. Not just you're slightly short, but super short. Well, Shorty didn't mind being small, and he didn't even mind having the nickname of Shorty, but what really steamed him was when the citizens of the city smiled down on him and called him short stuff and small fry and shrimp and other similar sounding short names. As a matter of fact, it made him so mad that he decided to steal from all of the citizens that weren't short like him. Of course, this meant that Shorty stole from everyone because no one in the city was shorter than Shorty. Now, Shorty may have been short, but he was also very smart. He knew that he couldn't just steal from people by stepping up to someone, slamming them in the shins with a stick and snatching their satchel full of silver. No, that would be stupid. No, 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 no. If Shorty was going to be a success at stealing, he would have to be much sneakier than that. So Shorty thought of something sly. Since he was the city's uh, tax collector, he could steal from everyone by simply setting an extra circle at the end of every citizen's bill. By doing this, if someone owed the the city $6, it became $60. And if they owed the city $77.67, it became $776.70, and so on and so on. Well, Shorty smiled smugly to himself because he knew that this was a very slick scheme. Well, after several seasons of stealing, sly little Shorty had stolen so much silver that he couldn't even stuff it all into his safe. He had been very successful at stealing and bought lots of slick stuff with some of his stolen silver, but it didn't seem to satisfy him or even make him smile. Most of the citizens in the city surmised that Shorty was stealing. Every time Shorty would show his face on the streets, they would shout at him and call him a sneaky snake or a scoundrel or a super slime. So you can see that all the silver in the city couldn't keep Shorty from being sad. Well, then one Saturday in September, it was very sunny, 
And as Shorty was slipping some more stolen silver into his safe, he heard someone say that somebody special was coming into the city. That they said it was Jesus the Savior. So Shorty scurried over to the window, stepped up on his little stool, and surveyed a slug of citizens scampering into the city square to see the special sight. Shorty wanted to see the Savior too, but how would Shorty be able to see anything? He was just too short. I know what I'll do, Shorty said to himself with a smile. I'll use my step stool to help me scale the sycamore tree in the center of the city square. Then I'll be able to see for sure. So that's just what he did. Well, it took some time for Shorty to stretch and strain and secure a spot in Sycamore, but he finally got settled. And just as he sighed a sigh of relief, he caught sight of the Savior. All the citizens in the city were surrounding him. This is really interesting, Shorty said to himself as he surveyed the situation. But then suddenly something happened that made Shorty swallow hard and start to sweat. Jesus had stopped right under the sycamore tree that Shorty was sitting in and looked straight up at him and started to speak. Shorty, Jesus said with a smile, I want you to shinny down that sycamore swiftly so I can stay at your house and have some supper. Well, this stunned all the citizens. They said to themselves, this doesn't make any sense. Jesus wants to have supper at Shorty's? Doesn't he know that Shorty is a sinner and that he steals? Well, in the meantime, Shorty slipped down the sycamore so fast he got splinters in his shorts. As he stood in front of Jesus, he sensed that the whole city was staring at him. Then Jesus spoke again and said, Shorty, I've come to seek and to save sinners. You can be saved too. But if you're going to be saved, you must say that you're sorry for your sin. Then you can stop your stealing and show that you're sorry too. Well, Shorty stared at the sand and said, Sir, I know that I am a sinner. I believe you are the Savior, and I want to be saved like you said. Then he looked up at the Savior and he said, So, to show my sincerity, I'm going to set things straight. I'll send several times the amount of silver I've stolen back to the citizens of the city, and then I'll separate my savings and see to it that the starving are always supplied with soup and sandwiches. Then Jesus, the Savior, said, Surely salvation has come to Shorty this Saturday. Shorty smiled because he knew that he had done the right thing. Then Shorty invited the whole city to a celebration where they had soup, salad, submarine sandwiches, strawberry sodas, and spumoni ice cream for dessert. That was the day that everyone had supper at Shorty's. All right, all right. Well, kids... Well, there is something special upstairs. That works, right? Okay. All right. And for those of you that were smart enough to sit at least three rows back, you were good. You didn't get spit on, right? All right. They're going to have a full room upstairs. All right. Sounds good. Well, we've been looking at the book of 1 John. And in the book of 1 John, there's something very interesting. It's not actually, it's not actually written into the text itself, but it's a little bit of a background of who the author is. Now, the author, John, uh, actually was known as the apostle of love, right? He writes 
things about Jesus and, and people say this guy is just filled with love. He was referred to in other places in Scripture as the apostle of love. And what's interesting is that he wasn't always the apostle of love. In, in, in fact, he was one of two brothers when Jesus called him to be a disciple that Jesus uh, actually knew him as one of the sons of thunder. Wouldn't you like that as the nickname? That'd be kind of cool. You know, it's like Thor. Uh, you know, I'm the son of thunder. Well, the reason they called him the son of thunder is because of his anger. His anger. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of passages in Mark 3 and again over in Luke 9 where it said they were called sons of thunder because of their hot tempers in Mark. And then in Luke, it says that they wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy a village. Come on, Jesus, just let's burn them. Toast them to the ground, right? Now, question. How in the world did someone that had such anger issues become known for being such a loving person? That is a great question. I don't know about anybody else here, but when I grew up, I had some anger issues. My my family life was not good. Uh, It would be an understatement to say I grew up in a dysfunctional home. My dad had anger issues, and I didn't inherit it. I chose to be an angry little guy. And uh, fortunately, God got a hold of me and was able to change me from the inside out. And my wife can attest to that, you know, that uh, I was uh, a difficult guy to live with because of my anger at first. But there are moments in your life where if you allow the Holy Spirit to, to enter in, he can literally change you from being a son of thunder into a person that's known for being so loving, so kind, so gentle in spirit. And that's who John was. Now, we always have to keep that in mind when we're reading the, the, the books of John. Because he is a person who understand, understands what it's like to have those feelings of animosity and anger and bitterness and even hatred toward people and things that bother him. And yet, God was able to miraculously transform him into a whole different kind of person. So let's, let's look at First uh, John. If you have your Bibles uh, on your lap or on your, on your app, on your phone, First uh, John chapter 2, verse 7 starts this way. It says, Dear friends, I'm not writing to you as a, uh, a new command, but an old one, which uh, you have had since the very beginning. This old command is the message you've heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. And this is his command. And this goes over to chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, it says, To love one another as Jesus commanded us. Commanded. Now, Jesus is saying, I want you to love one another. And John is saying, this is a new command. And now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little baffled. It's, it's like, well, weren't we always told to love God and love people? Uh, what's so new about this that John is trying to get across to us? Well, it's interesting that in Greek, there are actually two different words for new. 
There's new in the sense of describing like the newest car model. Uh, so you have this line of cars and all of a sudden, and, oh, I have this new line of cars, uh, uh, this new model of this older car, right? So it's new in quality. It's a little different, but it's kind of the same. But then the other word is this. It's, it's a, um, I'm sorry, it's not uh, new in, ter- in terms of time is what I'm saying when it's a, a new model. New in quality is this word that we get in the Greek. And quality is like it's a di- whole different kind of love. Like it's a whole different kind of, of automobile, like a flying VW. All right. I think there's a picture there of, of a model. There it is. It's just hovering. Right. And I think, wow, that would be a new way to drive. Right. See, it, it's a it's the same thing, but it's totally different. And so John is trying to get across to us that we are to love one another, not just in like we normally do, but in a completely different way than what we're used to. So what is that way? Well, it's important to understand the meaning of Christian love as it relates to this new command. Warren Worsby says it this way. He says, love is not just a shallow, sentimental emotion that Christians try to work up so they can get along with each other. It's a matter of the will rather than the emotion. It's a matter of determining that you will allow God, God's love to reach others through you and then acting toward them in loving ways. You're not to act as if you love them, but because you love them. This is not hypocrisy. It's obedience to God. So, uh, give you an illustration of this. There, there was a newspaper columnist. Uh, his name was George Crane. And uh, he tells of a wife who came uh, to his office and uh, he is a, a, he was a, 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 she was full of hatred toward her husband, just mad. And she says, I not only want to get rid of this guy, I want to hurt him. And what's really un- interesting, uh, she says, I want to hurt him as much as he hurt me. Well, Dr. Crane suggested this ingenious plan. He says, go home and act as if you really loved your husband. Interesting. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every little trait that he has. Go out of your way to be kind and considerate and as generous as possible. Make him believe that you love him. And then after you've convinced him of your undying love, then drop the bomb. Then drop the bomb and tell him that you're getting a divorce and that will just really hurt him. So she says, oh, that is perfect. That is perfect. I'm going to do that. So she did. So acting as if she loved her husband in these ways, for two solid months, she showed him love and kindness. She listened. She was giving, reinforcing. She was sharing. She did everything possible she could do to express her love to her husband. Well, after two months passed, Dr. Crane called. He hadn't heard from her. And... uh He asked her, are you ready now to go through with your divorce? And she said, divorce? Are you crazy? She says, I I discovered that I really do love this man. What happened? What happened? Well, her actions changed her feelings. 
Actions changed her feelings. Her emotion resulted in emotion. We have to keep that in mind. That God asks us, he, not, he doesn't just ask, He commands us to love one another in a new way. In a new way. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new command, that's that new in quality, new command I give you, love one another. And here is the descriptor. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. One another. Now, how has Christ loved us? He humbled himself. He became a servant. He died on a cross, suffered a cruel death. And on the cross, on the cross, he looked at those who hung him up there and said, Father, and all you know what he said, what's he say? Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus expected the best, even of the people who crucified him on that cross. He forgave them before they even asked for forgiveness. He was trying to treat them in a way that would ultimately draw them to himself. And we, this new amazing kind of love, acts in such a way as to do everything that we possibly can to help the other be drawn into the love of God. Instead of being condemning, instead of being judgmental, instead of being harsh and cruel, we do things specifically to show people how loving God is. Even when they are not loving to us, we express love to them so that they can experience what God's love is truly like. First John 2, 9 through 11 says this, If anyone who claims to be in the light, our light metaphor from last week, but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Now note, we are the ones that take responsibility for expressing love to our brothers and sisters and all those around us, even our neighbors. We're the ones who are responsible. It doesn't depend on their actions. We reach out in love to them. We express God's love to them. We do everything within our power to draw them in to seeing how loving and kind and compassionate God is. That's our responsibility. There's no hint given that we are free to hate or be bitter or hold a grudge or withhold any act of kindness to anyone. You see, no matter what, we have the responsibility to continue to be loving and act in loving ways to everyone. That's hard. That is hard. No way around it. Uh, I, I empathize with you completely. When you're thinking in your head right now, really? You just, you don't know these people that I know. 
Well, I know some like them. (laughs) Some are even in my family. And the tendency, the heart... The, the heart of, of the human, the tendency is to is to react as people act towards you. If they're unkind to you, well, I'll just be unkind to them. If they're mean to me, I'll be mean to them. Why, why should I return hatred with love? And yet Jesus says we're to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who persecute us and say all kinds of evil things about us. And our first thought isn't love. Our first thought is to get back, to treat them the way they treat us. And yet God says we're to treat them the way we want to be treated. Right? We don't know what's in their heart, what's going on in their mind, how they've been, how they grew up, how they've been treated. You know, we've got this way of, of being politically correct. In everything we do and say these days. And so we don't like to say, I hate that person. We just say, well, I prefer not to hang around them. Right? We try to figure out a a nice way to say that we just don't want to associate with people. I I like the the one that says, uh, I know that I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. How is that even possible? Right? You know, God doesn't ask us to like people. He asks us to love them. So you might say, well, that's a true statement. No, it's not, really. I mean, God wants our hearts to be softened to the place where we realize that while we were a sinner, God loved us. And so what is going to bring a person who's harsh, who's mean-spirited, who's even evil, what's going to bring them to the point where they actually see someone who's loving, who's kind, who has the Spirit of God working through them and in them in order to draw that person into God's sphere of love. You see, when you hear a phrase like, I know I have to love them, but I don't have to like them, nothing, nothing more could be a lie. That's what Satan wants you to believe that you can hate somebody and still love them at the same time the way God says to love, it's not possible. You have to love the way Jesus loved. So uh, it's in this context of the church that we find the support to actually do this. Yes, I need somebody, like those little gals. I almost had tears in my eyes. The little gals, did, did you get, do you see the metaphor there? Here is the soul that is so downhearted that it's, it's just down and on the ground. And yet others are dancing around, just entreating that person to be able to, to see and to feel the love of God that would draw them up with arms raised to worship again. What a beautiful picture. So that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're about. 1 Corinthians 13 says, well, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Whew. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. We think that love is just this kind of mushy you know, thing that kind of overcomes us and we feel love. 
No, love is hard work sometimes. And especially in those areas where it says that it perseveres. It keeps no record of wrongs. Remember, this is not just love for for somebody that you love. This is love for those who are hardest to love. We have to express these same things, these attributes in 1 Corinthians 13. These are attributes that are intended to be given out to people who aren't lovely. Because this is the way God loved us. He was so patient. He says, I I forgive you, and then I, I discard your sins. I put them in the depths of the deepest ocean. They're, they're, they're as far separated from me as the east is from the west. God chooses not to remember our sin. And so we're called, we're commanded to do that. How do we do that? Well, we're going to only be able to do that with the power of the Holy Spirit and the help of his people around us to encourage us to be loving when it's so difficult to love. So so John gives a word of encouragement to, to help people remember. He goes on in 1 John 2, uh, verse 12. He says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. See, there's a reminder. God forgave you. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known who it is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you're strong. And the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. He keeps on. He doesn't miss anybody. All ages here. Keep in mind, you have been forgiven. God loves you with an an unending love. You've experienced his love. You've experienced the Father firsthand. So remember it, remember it, remember it when you're engaging with other people. That's why we approach all relationships with humility. Because God has forgiven us and he has given us the power to overcome the evil one. Satan does not want you to believe that it's possible to love a person that you have held a grudge against or you have not forgiven for years and years and years. But the truth is, God, through his spirit and with the help of his people, can help you move to that place to where you can actually express acts of kindness and love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness for that person. Now, what greater example would there be to the world than to see at one time two enemies come together to love one another? It's unprecedented. Most of the world would say it's not possible. But you know what? With God, all things are possible. It is possible to love those who are hardest to love. See, you have been given the strength to love others as Christ loved you. And I'm not asking you to believe that the other person is going to change. They may not. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to love as God loves you. Ian Pitt Watson says, There is a natural, logical kind of loving that loves lovely things and lovely people. That's logical love. 
But there's another kind of loving that doesn't look for value in what it loves, but it creates value in what and who it loves. He tells a story about uh, his daughter. Um, He says uh, uh, his daughter Rosemary had a rag doll, had a little rag doll. And uh, she was his youngest child. And when she was three, she was given this little rag doll. Uh, which quickly became an inseparable companion. She carried it everywhere, took it everywhere, and ultimately a three-year-old and a doll going to get dirty, right? Especially a rag doll. And, you know, every attempt to clean the doll wind up, wound up making the, the rag doll more raggedy, okay? And ultimately it was just like, forget it. Well, she took that doll everywhere, right? Just everywhere. And it just became known that if you were going to love Rosemary, you got a package deal. You got Rosemary and you got her rag doll, right? And as much as the most sensible thing to do would be to trash the rag doll, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because it was Rosemary's rag doll and she loved it. If you love Rosemary, you love it all. (laughs) Okay. Well, God says... I want you to love me, and I want you to love my rag dolls, especially the one in the mirror. Okay? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and, and get ready to lead us in, in worship. And uh, just remember how much God loves you. Just sit in that for a while. Just let it soak in. Help God, uh, help ask God that the Holy Spirit would just work in your life to help you see maybe where you're not loving. You're choosing not to express love to somebody that's within your sphere of influence. And maybe this week that you can actually reach out with an act of love. There's a life application uh, every week in the, in the bulletin. And I encourage you to go through that with, with uh, your husband, your wife, your kids, your friend, whoever. Uh, but just let God work in your life to make that change happen. That you know God wants for you. It's going to be good for you. And it will be good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us uh, so much that you're willing and able to change our name, to, to move from angry to loving, uh, from, from hating to kind. God, thank you so much that, that you did a work in my life. And I've seen so many people change so radically and become a new creature in you. God, let us embrace that and believe that that we have the capacity to love others the way you loved us and in so doing, draw them to you. May it be so, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.